I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to That Gabby Roslin Podcast, part of the ACAST Creator Network. My guest this week is Charlie Clive, actress, comedian, and all-round lovely girl. Her show, Britney, Friends and Nothing More, is at the Soho Theatre from the 12th to the 22nd of December. And trust me, it is hilarious. Trust me, this is one person that you want to spend a lot of time with. You laugh, you think, you cry, and you will adore her too. Don't forget, you can keep up to date by following and subscribing, please, to the podcast, where a new episode is released every Monday. Leave us a rating on the Apple Podcast app. And whilst you're there, why not leave us a review? We love to hear your thoughts. Now, on with the show. Charlie Clive. Uh, so to say I was obsessed uh, with the Lazarus Project might be an understatement. <laughs> Oh, my word, how good was that? Thank you. Yeah, I thought it was good. I loved it. So this was June time that it came out and everyone, it must be great to be in a show that everybody's buzzing about. Yeah, it's really exciting. It's so nice. And seeing billboards for it and stuff is quite a bizarre and exciting feeling. You've got so It's a shame people can't see you. But the smile is enormous, <laughs> absolutely enormous. So, Charlie, you trained as an actress, but I know you took some time away from that. Yeah, that's right. I trained in New York. My mum's American, Mexican, so I've got American citizenship. So as soon as I could, I just was like, I want to get out of England. And I went to America um, to be an actress. And then it just did. It wasn't working at all. And I, the only job I got was um, for a radio advert where I had to pretend to be Kate Middleton. Uh, and Can I hear you, Kate Middleton? Yes, it's um, it's just me being sort of terribly posh and really, really sort of sweet and polite. That's what the works. Hello, Kate. Thank you. That's Welcome. all they wanted anyway. So it was, they just wanted a legitimate English accent, um, and that's the only job I got when I was living in New York um, as an actor. So I gave up and I became a baker, and then I moved back to England because of uh, health things, and then uh, and then acting happened, and it was sort of the maddest thing. And I'm so glad everything worked out the way it did but it, it was very unexpected I'm, I'm so glad it did because uh, it got me to, to meet you and I remember seeing we were talking about Pure the very first time I met you but yeah. also I, what I do want to talk about is you, you I love the way you sort of swept past your the medical stuff um, because you told me all about Britney yeah um, and people who haven't uh, read anything or heard you interviewed before I'm happy to talk about it if you'd like to yeah no let's please talk about it it, it, it was a brain tumour yeah a brain tumour uh, large pituitary adenoma, um, which is a type of brain tumour, which uh, w- I 
didn't realise I had until it was enormous. So, um, so take me back to, to how this all came about. So I was living in the States at the time and um, simply couldn't afford healthcare, didn't have insurance and was um, not, I was 22 and I was absolutely not remotely thinking about my health. Um, and basically I stopped getting my period and I was still in drama school at the time and everyone was telling me it was probably just the stress of uh, drama school, which I didn't really buy into. I, I wasn't particularly stressed, but I thought, yeah, okay, that's what it is. That's what it is. I don't need to go to a doctor. I'm definitely not pregnant. So that's uh, that was my big concern is, was I pregnant? And I was like, no, I'm not. Everything's fine. Um, and I sort of just put it out of my mind, really. And it was surprisingly easy to do that. My peripheral vision was a bit funny in my left eye, but I did see someone when I was in England about that. And they said that maybe I was on my phone too much. Um, is that what they said? Yeah. And they said, wow. if you're using your phone at night, if you're looking at your phone in bed, then sometimes that can be quite bad for your eyesight. And I was like, oh, okay, that's interesting. I mean, both my parents work uh, on computers a lot for a lot of the day, and I don't think anyone's ever said that to them. But fine, uh, maybe it is a generational thing. And again, when the medical professional tells you something, you just you yeah, just take their word for it. So then um, I came back to England for Christmas, having not been home for like a year, and went to my GP, who I've known since I was a baby, just to get all the tests out of the way because of the good old NHS. And um, I told him that I hadn't had a period for a while, but everyone just said I was stressed out. And he said, well, let's look at this properly and found um, I had a hormone that they weren't expecting in my bloodstream called prolactin, which is more common if you're going through menopause. And he was like, okay, well, this shouldn't be happening right now. So let's do an MRI just to make sure your pituitary gland is all right. And your pituitary gland is the sort of hormone center of your brain. And then I got this MRI and they called the next day and said, you have an enormous growth on your Oh God, you got that gland. on the phone? Yeah. They told you? Oh. They said, we have to go, you have to come back in because you've got this growth that we need to sort of look at more and talk to you about. And they didn't say tumor at the time. Um, Were you on your own when you went to see them? No, I was. I was at my. I was living at my parents' house because I was just back for Christmas. So I was only supposed to be back for two weeks, and then they basically told me that day when I went in um, that I wasn't going to be getting on a plane anytime soon. And um, so I don't drive, so my parents sort of took me everywhere. So I was. It was pretty much. It was very infantilizing, really. I felt like a little kid, which actually maybe was a nice thing because um, I absolutely was allowed to be taken care of. And then um, very quickly we realised it was this tumour, which thankfully was benign, but we didn't find that out for a very long time. Oh, you didn't know straight away no, that it was benign? we didn't know. And we knew that the treatment, um, if it was, we knew that the, well, they sort of have to treat, I mean, I wish I knew more about it. You'd think I would, but it sort of all went in one ear and out the other. Um, yeah, when you're going 22 time. and you're going through all of that, you're not going to take it all yeah, in. Yeah, exactly. And so, and But we didn't know. They suspected it was benign, but they absolutely can't tell you that in case it isn't. And so we didn't know till quite a while after the surgery that it definitely wasn't. But we knew that it would probably grow back, which it did a year later. And then I had radiotherapy uh, for six weeks, which has stopped it completely in its tracks, which is really good news. But it was a very scary ordeal, obviously. Um, it's so easy for me to talk about it now, really... Um, Objectively, I suppose, because um, it was it was five years ago, and uh, so much has happened because of it. My best friend Ellen Robertson moved in with me and my family, uh, and put her life on hold by choice. I didn't have the choice, but she was like, "Yeah, why not?" 
And uh, we wrote this show about the brain tumour, which was sketch comedy, which we took to Edinburgh, which we called Brittany. There we go. That's the Brittany link. The now, Brittany people link. might be thinking they're still, what, what was Brittany? They're talking yeah, about brain tumour. We called the brain tumour Brittany because it was much uh, easier than saying brain tumour all the time. And uh, Didn't you say something to the nurse when you came through about Brittany? Yeah, when I came, when I was in the ICU and I came round off all the insane medication, I asked where Brittany was and could I see Brittany? And they brought Ellen in because they assumed that that must be Ellen's name. And they're like, oh, there's a young woman here that might be called Brittany. And I was like, not her. Where's Brittany? And Ellen had to explain to them she's asking if she can see the brain tumour. And they were like, oh, gosh, no. Obviously, no, we've not kept it in a jar for you. And I was like, oh, I wanted to <laughs> see her. I wanted to look her in the eyes. Um, but And then off the back of our show, a few years later, we developed it as a comedy pilot for BBC, which was extremely exciting. And... Um, and then filmed that and, and that. So I say all the time, it's sort of the best, worst thing that ever happened to me because if it hadn't been for uh, Britney, I probably never would have bizarrely sort of found the confidence to get back into acting and, and writing, which is the thing I always really wanted to do. But having had my confidence knocked, I thought, well, it's not going to happen. And then I, got, I suppose getting the tumour, I was like, well, if I'm not going to, why, why not try? Why not go for it? And Ellen was like, we're doing it. So that's it. So Ellen literally stopped, like you say, stopped in her tracks and just yeah. became your, your well, she was your best friend, but your yeah. uh, sister, your confidant, your totally. everything. And sort of like the morale keeper of the, my whole family. She was, she was able to sort of make sure that the, the life I sort of was forced into at that time was as entertaining as possible. And that enabled my parents to sort of get a break from it all. And I think it also gave them perspective of like, okay, yes, that's your daughter, but she actually isn't a child. And it's important that I needed to sort of regain independence and autonomy as quickly as possible. But it was very, very easy to regress into complete childhood. Being in my childhood bedroom, um, you know, my parents just across the hall and the whole thing was so strange. And and I also, I, I, I was 22 and I definitely felt like young for my age and... Um, the whole thing was very obviously overwhelming but because Ellen was there we ended up having so much fun unexpectedly how, how incredible the, the, the weird twists of life because mm. you weren't you weren't expecting any of it. You went home for Christmas. Yeah. Suddenly, Brittany is in your head. You're in ICU. Your best friend moves in and you have laughter around you. Laughter is, is totally. so important, isn't it? And so much laughter too. We just had this... Uh, this huge space to just mess around in. We didn't have anything. Ellen had a day job, to be fair to her, but I didn't. Um, so she would sort of work part-time and then come back to my house and we'd just have loads of fun. And we'd watch, we'd watch like stupid TV or we'd like do obstacle courses in the park and she always had something to keep me entertained. Wow. We'd cook together. We'd just do everything together and it was really, really fun. And we were both, I think... Ellen sort of let me lead if I wanted to talk about what, why we were, where we were. And sometimes I did and very often I didn't. And that was sort of fine. We ha I, Ellen sort of knew if I needed space, which was quite rare. And if I needed to laugh, if I needed to cry, if I needed to scream into a pillow, if I needed to put on a sumo suit in the garden, which was what did I did. Did you do that? Please tell me you did Yeah, it. we did. Fabulous. The day the phone call came, I saw my parents were really upset, but both of them obviously very bravely trying not to be. And I was really worried about them. 
And I was also felt very awkward for Ellen because she happened to be at my house that day when the phone call came to say you've got this growth in your brain. And so we were all just lumped together in the kitchen. And uh, my fight or flight response was put a sumo suit on and go into the garden and make this really funny. And it was. And actually, usually if I'd said to my mum, can you go to the loft and get that sumo suit out? She would have been like, no, get it yourself. But when you get told you've got a growth on your brain, people just sort of do things for you. So I, it happened and it was funny. And we were all sort of like hysterically laughing so as to avoid, I suppose, hysterically crying. But it was the same sort of catharsis. And that set the precedent for going forward and, and, and trying as much as possible to see the ridiculous side of it. So then, but then you write a show all about it. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> yeah, why not? It's what we'd always wanted to do. Ellen and I always said that we'd do comedy together. And then she went to university and I went to drama school and across the ocean. And so we didn't really end up doing it. And we both then had quite different ambitions. What were um, hers? Ellen wanted to be, well, and and still definitely is, a, a sort of more political playwright. And um, she had quite sort of noble ambitions to be a writer who did things that were a bit more hard-hitting and had something to say about sort of the state of the world. And I wanted to just be um, a big movie star. And then we bo- both came together and remembered that what we'd always really wanted was to do comedy and make people laugh and just be as um, happy as possible. Uh, and for as many people as possible. And live comedy was something we were both really passionate about um, and how our friendship sort of really started. So then we remembered that. And um, I think that sort of quite uh, naive nobility thing that happens when you're in your early 20s and you're in an institution with people that don't know you and you're like, how can I be as impressive as possible? I think something tells you that sometimes your childish ambitions aren't good enough. And then when you when something really shakes you, the thing that you find comfort in often is that thing that you loved as a child, which for us was comedy. And we were like, actually, there's nothing ridiculous about this at all. All of my comedy heroes, I would never think they were ridiculous. I just think they're completely brilliant. And I would really like that to be something that I do. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
So uh, where's, Ellen, where's Ellen now? Is she, do you still... We live together and we write together. We'll be doing a run at the Soho Theatre in December, which is really exciting. Uh, we love it there. And it was always our sort of big dream to do the Soho Theatre. And we've this will be our third time doing it, which is just phenomenal that that's the thing that we can do now. And so, yeah, we still do... We write together predominantly. We write um, sort of TV and film together and we do live comedy together so gigging as much as we can during the week have you two ever fallen out oh yeah all the time oh do you yeah 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 we bicker like an old married couple we've been best friend we've been sort of like um interlocked for about 15 years now with the four and a half year break when i was an american and she was um at uni but uh sin- either side of that um small hiatus where we couldn't be completely um intertwined we always have been and it's just i can't it so so naturally we get on each other's nerves a lot but um it's i think it's a bit like it's the sort of like dream romance really because there's no um romance but we love each other very deeply but we know that we're never going to break up that's just not a possibility so how wonderful yeah every fight that happens is is Obviously, a fight is never nice, but there's never a moment where I think either of us would ever seriously consider that there wouldn't be a resolution. I think it's just like fighting with a sibling, probably. So let's go back, if we may, to to the Lazarus Project. Uh, I I was obsessed with it. The the first, if if anybody hasn't seen it, go and watch it now on BBC iPlayer. And it's fantastic news that there's a new season. I cannot wait. So that, that moment where somebody is it's not time travel it's not james bond it's not doctor who it, it it's not some great war, it, it, but it's everything oh my word the lazarus project congratulations Thank for being you a so part much. of it oh it was such a proper dream job so exciting to be able to say that but uh definitely the sort of thing that i really like to watch and something i didn't really think I would necessarily do I don't I couldn't imagine that there'd be a character for me in that sort of a show and I'm so 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 glad that there is so with filming the next season how's it being back with everybody again very exciting because uh last time we were filming it was all during lockdown so we were it was a, a very strange way to do something collaborative because you were so separated and last time we were filming I only really worked with Papa um, because oh, all of our scenes were together. Yeah, I mean, just the just yeah. the coolest guy. And this time around, it's uh, it's it's freer and it's open, and I get to spend more time with people um, who aren't Papa. Even though I love spending time with him, <laughs> it's exciting to spend. Yeah, time don't with tell me too, too much because I actually don't want spoilers. It's one of those ones. That's why I'm not going to say too much about it because it's that good. Uh, but the other thing was the 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 beautiful uh, drama about OCD. That was an extraordinary, extraordinary program. It was called Pure. Wasn't Pure, it? yeah. yeah. Uh, so for people who didn't see it, just uh, explain it a bit because it's so, it's so beautiful. It's harrowing and Thank beautiful. Thank you. Uh, uh, Pure is a series based on uh, Rose Cartwright's memoir of the same title, but the story of uh, the TV show is a very fictionalized account of the condition that she has, and it follows. Um, the central character Marnie, who I played, uh, moving to London from a small town in Scotland and trying to sort of reinvent herself 
uh, all the while living with this quite debilitating type of OCD um, known as pure O, which is uh, where you have intrusive thoughts uh, constantly and uh, quite debilitatingly in, in some people's cases. And Marnie uh, had the sort of pure O where her intrusive thoughts were very sexual. Um, and so it's about this young woman trying to sort of figure out how to live with her condition and also live like uh, as normal and as exciting a life as you can in your early 20s in London uh, and also coming to terms with the, the fact that mental health is something that needs to be explored and talked about and normalised and not shied away from and somebody that grew up all their life thinking that they were a deviant or a pervert or beating themselves up for the thoughts that they had. The series really is the journey of realising that you are not your thoughts. And how you would, I mean, the, how you got the part is incredible because yeah. that was one of those times that you thought, oh, I'm not going to act and then... Totally. Just... I, I, we, I, Ellen and I have been doing comedy for two years at this point. I was, ba I was back in London, well, back in England. I, I wasn't in London. I uh, was doing sort of odd jobs. I was babysitting occasionally. I was picking up people's dry cleaning I was doing whatever I could to sort of like um, pay some rent in London and then go back to my parents' house. And it was all a bit sad and annoying. Um, and Ellen and I were had just done our second uh, Edinburgh show. And I didn't have an agent at the time at all. And I hadn't done any TV work, anything on screen ever. And then we got this email to our like comedy account saying that somebody had heard about the show and would like me to audition for um, this thing. They needed somebody with a comedy background and um, I think they were looking for somebody unknown and it worked out and I I thought it was a prank at first I was like no way and um, then I realised it was real and I read the scripts and I thought this is absolutely mad And but I actually I sort of was like I can definitely do this and I had absolutely nothing to lose so I think I just went in there really like if nothing else I get to go to London for the day and audition for Channel 4 this is so exciting and um, it was, and it was brilliant, and I enjoyed the process so, so much. And then uh, then I went back for my callback, and they said, can you do it in a Scottish accent? And I said, absolutely. And I sort of panic learned how to do a Scottish accent. And then, uh, and then I went to New York to do a play for a bit. I say do a play. I'd written a play um, that my friends very kindly put on in a basement, and it no, was let's do a play. Infested. No, you know, it's it's you it did was a play. play. Yeah, I, I'm proud of the work. New York, exactly, yeah. exactly. My grandmother thinks it's Broadway, so it's Broadway. <laughs> and then um, while I was there, the uh, casting director said, "Can you send in more tapes because they really like you?" And I couldn't believe it because a few months had passed. And then while I was there, they called me and said if you're willing to come back to London, you have the role. And I, it was insane. It was, it was so, so shocking and um, so exciting. And I couldn't believe it. And, it. and I sort of couldn't talk about it to anybody for such a long time because I didn't really know how on earth to say it. Also because we'd all just got over the fact I'd had a brain tumour. I was like, how, how many sort of more big shocks can can we all take? But obviously this was a very good one. And then it all happened so quickly. I moved back to London. We started filming three or four days after I moved back and after my 25th birthday. And then um, 
we did 12 weeks of filming and it was just the coolest thing in the world and I was in every day and I absolutely loved it and um and it was just a huge unbelievable opportunity which sort of changed my entire life um and wouldn't have happened if we hadn't done that Edinburgh show uh so things just sort of have the puzzle looked awful and actually when it all fit together is pretty nice do you now believe that you can do it? I think it was just hubris at the time. I was thinking, well, nobody wants me to do it, so I can't do it. And I think that obviously nobody wants you to do it. They've got no idea what you can do. You have to put yourself out there. You've got to make the work and you have to put the time in to do that. And it's so much easier said than done. And I was really lucky in that when when Ellen and I did the Edinburgh show, it, we crowdfunded and all of our profits went to charity so it was very easy it was an easy sell if it hadn't been for that would we have been able to afford to do Edinburgh probably not and that led to so many more opportunities so as easy it is to say make the work it's very difficult sometimes to find the time or have the resources but what's changed even in the last five years I think is the internet and and the possibility to showcase yourself that way and so many people are becoming more and more known and getting all these great opportunities because of things like TikTok and Instagram and Twitter, things that I'm sort of a little bit scared of utilising, I think. Why? Um, I suppose just because my arena feels very live and I I don't, I, the front-facing camera thing for me just isn't a big turn-on. I think that will change, definitely. And, and loads of people I massively admire do it to perfection. I just feel that I I've sort of got my thing and I'm really happy in it. But I definitely feel now that uh, I can do it. I am doing it, and and I love doing it. I feel Good. so lucky to be doing it. Your parents must feel they, you know, from that morning in the sumo suit, yeah, to, to now. Your parents must just be they. They what an extraordinary roller coaster you've gone through. But for them as well, watching all of this happen, they must just feel so proud. <laughs> I think so. They're brilliantly. They um. They're completely unsurprised. I'm I'm a very, very fortunate person in that my parents, from the second I said I wanted to be an actor, which was when I was about three years old, they were like, brilliant, how and, and when? And um, I used to put on plays in my living room and my mum would help me make the sets and I'd charge 20p to my neighbours and I I never thought I couldn't do it. And um, they they were always incredibly supportive. They were very realistic as well. They never sort of let me audition for anything when I was a kid or they never sort of entertained the idea that they would change anything about their lives to make that happen. But um, I never I never thought it wouldn't be able to happen. They were always supportive and they were always very they were always very glad that I had something I wanted to do and that I was passionate about something without them ever having to sort of like force my hand. Um, So all of all of this happening is so brilliant and, and exciting and. Uh, I wouldn't have probably known how to get there if my parents hadn't sort of really encouraged the hard work that would lead to it. I think a lot of people assume it's just sort of like being at the right place at the right time, and often it is, but you sort of you do have to work to get to that place at that time. And there's so many people that everyone goes, oh, they just appeared out of nowhere, and they didn't. They've been there forever, um, but they it just sort of takes one thing, but you've got to work very hard to get to a place where that one thing can happen, if that makes sense. It absolutely makes sense, complete sense. So... Lazarus Project, um, are, are you doing more of your own writing though as well? So yeah. Good. Yeah, and, and that that's something I've always um, been very passionate about and Ellen and I work together on that. We have a few things um, that we're working on for television. Uh, have you got yeses? 
Uh, yes, we do. <gasps> we do. Yes! Oh, I'm so pleased for <laughs> Thank you. you. We've got a yes um, for one thing, which is very exciting. And we are currently um, pitching a film, which um, by the time this comes out, hopefully we'll have, we will know more about. But we, um, that's been a really amazing thing to come out of the uh, BBC airing the Britney pilot is that we have had so many people realise that we can write for screen as well as for stage. And that's been a, such a blessing, um, actually, particularly during the pandemic, because even though we couldn't act and we couldn't do anything live and very little filming was going on, writing was something that we could do without sort of there's no you can't be furloughed if you're freelance and it was really worrying but thankfully we got a few jobs during the first awful bit of covid that have now come to more fruition which is wonderful and and uh it's it's yeah i'm i'm very glad i write because i don't know what i would do in between the acting jobs otherwise except for potentially go completely mad britney has to be a film though surely we got to make we got to make something um exciting with it and i think yeah we will be. Uh, I don't want to. No, I'm not pushing for any more. But no, okay. no, no, I no, know. no, no, no. I absolutely not. But I, but I saw that smile. Um, mm. What makes you uh, belly laugh? What makes you properly giggle? Um, Ellen, Ellen makes me laugh belly laugh probably at least once a day. Um, I come from a very funny family. Everyone in my family is quite gregarious and good storytellers. Um, my dad is one of the funniest people I know, and he brought me up watching sketch comedy. So, uh, like what? Th- things what that make me really belly laugh. Smack the Pony was probably my big, other than uh, French and Saunders, that was probably my biggest inspiration growing up. And all I would do is quote it constantly. Um, Victoria Wood, uh, Steve Martin makes me belly laugh. Steve Martin's my all time hero. And whenever I need to laugh, I will watch clips of Steve Martin or I'll listen to his autobiography. Um, and And he's the person that made me desperately want to do the sort of thing I get to do now and that is a really lovely feeling Charlie you're a, you are you've got such an amazing future I'm so excited oh, thank you. no I've got so I'm so excited for you but each time um I meet you and interview you I just think oh Charlie Clive she's one of those she's just a really good one That's you've got so an amazing nice. future you really have thank, thank you. you thank you so much for having me thank you Isn't Charlie Clive lovely? I did tell you. Coming up next week, my gorgeous friend, Ben Shepherd. That Gabby Roslin podcast is proudly presented to you by Cameo Productions with music by Beth Macari. If you wouldn't mind, could you give us a like, a follow, a subscribe, and please leave a review? We read them all and love to see what you've got to say. See you next week. (laughs) 